This is Dr. Woody Cannabis Coaching Podcast, hosted by Dr. Woody Goulart. That's me. My guest today is Carmen Jones. She's a medical doctor, and she is here in Las Vegas, as am I. Carmen Jones, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Now, I must, in all honesty, say to our listeners that I am someone who has taken advantage of Wildflower Medical Consultants Services. I signed up, and uh, so I guess we should start there. What does Wildflower Medical Consultants do in Las Vegas? So, um, um, you know, to begin, thank you for inviting me to participate in, in this uh, interview and for giving me the opportunity to discuss cannabis uh, as uh, used as medicine. That is what my, my focus is. I have uh, founded Wildflower Medical Consultants based on the need that we saw arising in the Valley with regards to um, medical cannabis use. And so what, uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, I have, as you said, I'm a medical doctor, and I've got almost uh, 30 years in the game. I am originally uh, trained in pediatrics, and somewhere along the way, probably like 2012, uh, I ran into a fellow physician who asked if I would cover for her as she was um, doing uh, approving medical patients for medical card use, uh, the Nevada Registry for medical cards for uh, use of cannabis in, in Nevada. And so I agreed to help her out, and I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, didn't really know what to expect at the time, but fast forward, uh, I ended up really enjoying the work, enjoying the patients, and most importantly, enjoying the results that I found the patients were getting. I found that my pediatric experience put me in a unique position, actually, to help cannabis patients. And I know that might sound odd, but I think it has a lot to do with um, people who seek uh, alternative care are doing it usually because they are either not getting the results they need from traditional medicine or they're just tired of pills or, more importantly, they just happen to prefer natural methods. So as I began to learn more about that, I realized that they weren't being heard in the five-minute visits with their doctors. And being the cannabis uh, physician allowed me a little bit more time to talk to them, and that became a really valuable tool. And a lot of times people don't even realize, um, you know, what to say, what not to say, and having that time and that experience in interviewing people who couldn't necessarily identify their own problems, meaning the children, um, my interviewing skills, I think, and the, uh, the ability to be compassionate um, goes a long way for uh, alternative care and treatment. Hence, the cannabis industry continued to grow. And here we are, fast forward to 2020, and I'm in the process of growing wildflower medical so that patients who seek to use cannabis as medicine can not only talk to the physician, uh, they can uh, receive a recommendation on how to use it, what to do, what to buy when you go in there, and then also get uh, some life coaching, if you will, wellness. Uh, type experience with um, our healing mentor. I'll stop there because I've answered, I've gone through a lot, but um, I'm sure you have many more questions. Well, uh, that was a really good answer, and it uh, covers a lot of ground for people who don't know of you or really, like you said, like you touched on, haven't thought to seek natural remedies uh, for what what they find ails them in their life. And that was going to, that brought me to a question. We have a phrase that, I mean, I've heard this phrase, three words, ask your doctor. All my life I've heard, ask your doctor. But when it comes to medical cannabis, 
in my personal experience, I found when I asked my doctor, I got a look like, first of all, they don't want to answer. And then they would say stuff like, well, it's uh, schedule one, blah, 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 you know, all that. So as a medical doctor, and now you're doing, you're helping patients in Las Vegas, Wildflower Medical Consultants is the name. What does Ask Your Doctor mean today versus what it has meant over many, many, many years? So that's a common concern that I hear. And I believe that, you know, from maybe a legal standpoint, the uh, caution of asking your doctor has become, you know, kind of a standard phrase. But unfortunately, many of my colleagues uh, don't know very much about cannabis at all, and that is part of the reason that uh, Wildflower Medical Consultants exist, to sort of provide the bridge between alternative and traditional medicine. It is, um, I find myself in a unique position. I, I know that I'm not the, the only one. I'm, I'm not really sure how many other physicians out there are doing what I'm doing, but I don't think there are many. And... Um, to answer the progress, the question about progression over time, since I started seeing cannabis patients in 2012 till now, the attitude has changed almost like 180. Uh, when I first started, patients were coming in in tears because their doctor had berated them or kicked them out of their practice or some, some downright ugly story. And patients were afraid to talk to their doctor because of their reactions. In defense of my colleagues, you know, um, it is a Schedule One. It was still kind of nuanced and taboo, and they were afraid, they still are, that even if they even discussing it would get them into trouble. What I learned is that uh, the laws actually protect us uh, in terms of, I mean, you can have a discussion. We're not to write a prescription for it, but there's nothing preventing people from discussing. Uh, cannabis as an alternative, but I think the real truth is, you know, over the years they have been slow to become informed. From the time I started seeing the patients, there was almost no information specifically directed to physicians. Now they have actually continuing medical education courses where physicians can begin to learn. Uh, about the use of cannabis as medicine. The problem is a lot of them don't know or don't care to integrate it into their practice um, because of potential legal conflicts. So um, I guess that's okay to me. I'm happy to, um, I have spoken, you know, in the beginning I had three attorneys consulting me on what to do, what to not do, what to say, what to not say. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, providing a recommendation based on the information I have and knowledge and what the state uh, laws are, I'm happy to um, offer information and recommendation. Um, I'll leave it there. Well, and in the history of this, um, people that go into a uh, program, medical degree, um, at least what I have seen in my over my lifetime is that uh, medical marijuana is not considered, well, a lot of people don't even put those two words together because of a lot of prejudice about cannabis that comes to us in this country from a generation ago. But when you were going through medical school, can you characterize what was the attitude of, um, you know, the people that prepared you to be a doctor, what was the attitude toward marijuana in the medical sense? I don't recall there being any discussion whatsoever. Um, you know, being Schedule One, uh, put in the Schedule One category, suggests that there's no medicinal value whatsoever. However, there have been multiple studies that suggest just the opposite. And as time has passed, you know, because, I mean, I, I, I was in medical school over 30 years ago, and um, as time has passed, it's just been society uh, um, being willing to change. It obviously takes time, but um, even now, you have, what, 
75% of the states allowing cannabis to be used as medicine, and they still haven't released it off the Schedule One. And I kind of heard you allude to our, our, how what's the right word? Our prejudice history towards cannabis use in America uh, since the prohibition began in the 30s. Um, it just stuck. It, it made people fearful of it. Uh, all sorts of uh, derogatory names associated with it. We know, um, well, without going too far into it, you know, the reefer madness hysteria. Yes, how, yes. How, how um, it would affect you and what would happen to your women if the mm, men on the docks that smoke this marijuana you know, would, would, would get to you. And so they, that campaign was very effective. And then, of course, fast forward to the Nixon era uh, when he decided to um, want a way to find, find a way to criminalize those who used it. Uh, the, the DEA was created and it was placed on the very dangerous drug list uh, with heroin and LSD and these other um, uh, other drugs that they were using in the 60s, whether you were uh, one of the people in the hippie generation or a Vietnam uh, vet uh, protesting the war, in order to control the population, you know, you can now lock them up. So um, I think that just like anything in America, we make mistakes. Hopefully we learn from them and begin to correct them, and I believe that's what's happening, you know, today. Now we just need some politicians with some real courage to um, remove it off the schedule uh, drug list, and I believe, I have hope that that will happen. And I have that hope just based on how many states, like I said, have agreed that cannabis can be used as medicine. The will of the people is totally in favor of allowing that and now they have uh i don't know if you realize there's actually a congressional task force already in place um to uh to not only study this but create laws around it and um obviously it was a big topic during the um democratic presidential primary debates uh, on cannabis, and the majority of them were in favor of decriminalizing it and or removing it entirely from Schedule 1. And this is a good thing because, obviously, as America reckons with its criminal justice path, the two are interlinked. Um, cannabis has been used to vilify an entire, like you said, generation of people that end up locked up. There's horrible stories about people locked up for 20 years for one uh, joint being found in their possession, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't think most people today would even, I mean, you mentioned uh, President Nixon. I don't think many people even know that the DEA was out of his administration, came out of his administration. But there are people um, who, from his administration, everybody pretty much except for John Dean, I think everyone else has passed. Um, but some of his, his closest advisors admitted before they died that the criminalizing of marijuana was used as a political tool because they wanted to get rid of the opposition to President Nixon's re-election in the uh, 70s. And there was yeah. a protest against the Vietnam War, and they wanted to get rid of that. So that's how all this came to be. And it really was never about health at all. It was all politics. And they, these people have admitted this before they died. And anyone can look yeah. it up if they want. The other thing is the prejudice that predates Nixon in the 1930s. The um, It became popular in those days, as you know, to have prejudice against the people that used marijuana. And marijuana came largely, the recreational use anyway, came into the United States from Mexico 
they went through a big revolution in the uh, 1920s, and that spilled over into the 30s and 40s. People coming across the border from Mexico to the U.S., people who use marijuana, and the name even. Marijuana is a Spanish language word, and you just pronounced it a few moments ago in a way that is a negative. Uh, you know, it's a cultural negative. And that's why I'm glad today we use the word cannabis, which is a Latin word, didn't come from Mexico. And it's probably more accurate. But I don't think people have any connection to the, you know, 60, 70, 80 years worth of prejudice or Richard Nixon. And none of that truly is important today because... We are in the year 2020, and anyone can, if they want, especially in Nevada, but a lot of other states, seek medical advice as from someone like yourself. And that's a good thing, I believe. I am, I am I'll also be honest, a person, well, I came to you, I said that at the start, uh, as someone seeking medical advice. I had already gotten the state of Nevada medical patient card, I think um, three years ago, and I had to renew. This is the second or third renewal for me. That's why I came to you. But I think it's important yeah. for people to understand that now it is legal in many, many states, the medicinal use and recreational use, um, yeah. because there's a big, well, big misconception. Well, I want to just add on to something you mentioned before we close that one topic, and that is prior to the 30s, I mean, my goodness, the plant is has been on Earth longer than, you know, probably we have as humans. And um, prior to the 30s, if you even do any little bit of research, most of our medicines had cannabis in it. And it will say either, sometimes it'll say cannabis, sometimes it'll say sativa, sometimes it'll say indica, but in our uh, headache medicines, in our cough syrup, uh, it, it's there. There's, that's, that's not um, a secret. In our pharmacists, someone ever decided to become interested in the history of pharmaceuticals in our country. Um, and the word was cannabis, and the only word, the only time it was changed to marijuana was, in fact, to vilify the um, Mexicans who worked on the docks and used it recreationally. At least that's what we believe. And so I agree. Uh, I, I don't like the term. <clears throat> Excuse me. I try my best not to use the term marijuana. Um, so I want to make sure I call it what it is. And, and that's cannabis. And not to mention one other thing. We forgot another large group of people during the 60s that was targeted, and that's the civil rights activists. So we had two great, two large groups. Um, let's say, um, you know, the, the kids at Woodstock and that generation were allowed to smoke cannabis freely and pump and all these other things. And then uh, all of a sudden it's a problem a couple years later with regards to uh, the return of the Vietnam vets protesting the war and the rise of the civil rights movement. Yes. Well, and the whole, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, people today don't really think about, um, you know, what you mentioned, pharmaceutical history in the U.S. And it is true that anyone who looks up online, you could easily, easily find um References to in the Commonwealth of Virginia, for instance, it was a big agricultural crop um, shortly after people came from Europe to what became the Commonwealth of Virginia um, in the 17th, 17th, 18th century, I guess. Um, but then when things got to be prejudicial, um, I find it, I'm a, I marvel at how people can have prejudice about others, quote-unquote, people not like them. And I remember personal history as a teenager. I was frightened by that movie you mentioned, Reefer Madness. Um, it came out in 1930-something, uh, you know, around this, around the same time as the Wizard of Oz movie and, uh, you know, a much more innocent time, I guess. I wasn't born yet, but, you know, as a kid, I was frightened by this reefer madness movie. 
And a lot of the prejudices, you know, you look at them today and you laugh at them. You know, you mentioned that women were thought to be in danger from uh, the dock workers or Mexicans in general, but also it got into the musicians, a prejudice against right. musicians, jazz musicians in the 30s and exactly. 40s and 50s. You know, and I have to ask, why would anyone... <laughs> Why would anyone pick on jazz musicians? I mean, like, of all... Because they were because they were black. Because they were black, well, sure. All right, so there we go. And because they were black, and that is a very... I think our nation, we need to own up to those prejudices. And this is as contemporary as right this moment, where black men are shot by white police and so forth. All of this can be traced back to the prejudice. In well, that's kind of what, what I was referring to in a more broad sense, because uh, if uh, the police have a law that say they can arrest you for this illegal substance, well, now we got a whole bunch of people we can now arrest and jail. And that's the entire uh, criminal justice uh, complex that we're trying to correct today. So, God willing, we will get on the right path. I believe that we are on a path to fixing it. Um, people are aware. People are discussing it. No matter which side of the aisle you fall on, it's an important topic because it affects everyone because cannabis use is uh, probably, in fact, if I recall the statistics, statistically more used by white Americans then black Americans, but black Americans are arrested at a significant rate higher than white Americans for the possession and use of it. Yes. So however, however you think or believe, it kind of doesn't matter of uh, white, black, right, left, Republican, Democrat, whatever, it affects all of us. And more importantly, aside from the politics, it helps us. Those people who need it to be used as medicine can now access it and hopefully we'll remove the criminality portion very shortly. Yeah. Well, and I think um, it would be good to, if you could explain what is it that a person coming in to see or they, they can do it remotely too, we don't have to do face-to-face -face only, but people that um, enlist the services of Wildflower Medical Consultants, can you talk us through what is it that, how does the process work, and what can someone expect? Yes, so because uh, we are a state that is offers legal, uh, recreational, or what they like to actually call it uh, adult use and medical use, and the, the reason I changed it from recreational is because that has a bit of a negative connotation to some uh, as well. There are people who do not choose to be in the state registry for whatever reason, whatever the perception. I can t talk about that in a little bit. But um, adult use versus medical use, because medical use can be used by children as well. So children that, that have a medical condition that qualifies them. So um, what my, again, the purpose that I uh, started the practice was People were getting cards from various uh, uh, facilities that offered that service, um, and then they didn't know what to do. And I, heard, I kept hearing it for years and years, you know, okay, well, what do I buy? What do I do? Well, they go into a dispensary, let's say someone has their medical card, they had a condition, let's say it was something as simple as lower back pain, they would go into the dispensary and they'd be the person behind the counter, you are at their mercy, essentially, because you may get some uh, younger person that just got the job and loves weed. Or you may get lucky and have someone that's really knowledgeable about how to help you. But the bottom line is the burden should not be on those retail workers. That's kind of a conflict. One, we're asking them essentially to in my opinion, practice medicine without a license. They're essentially saying, hey, try this for that back pain. The problem is that person not only had back pain, but let's say they had 
uh, an autoimmune disorder, they have kidney disease, they have heart condition, they have these medicines, a uh, list of 10, 20 medicines long, with no direction on how it will interact, no understanding of how the plant works in the body, no understanding of whether or not that's the right strain, if you will, or the right method of usage. And when I say that, I mean are you smoking it, eating it, rubbing it on something, you know, uh, your, your area of discomfort. And so because all of those questions remained, um, my goal was to, again, say, uh, like I said earlier, create a bridge between the medical community and the cannabis community and take some of the pressure off those uh, retail workers that they call bud tenders, um, be, you know, to, to not put that burden on them to have to practice medicine because they really shouldn't be. And unfortunately, because the medical establishment is so far behind in information, I, I don't even know that I blame them. I just, I just would like to be the bridge uh, between the two. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I should say the reason I became a cannabis advocate is because I am in the I'm of the baby boom generation and people my generation were are rather old enough to have lived through the 60s and the 70s when marijuana use was a countercultural thing. And it's, to me, a real mind-blower that now it's a medicinal thing, whereas in the past it was, you know, Jefferson Airplane and Grace Slick and that kind of thing. A couple of references that many people won't have an idea about what I'm talking here. Um, but the one thing I found is what you said. In Las Vegas, when I visited dispensaries, I found that the retail people, the bud tenders, were very young, on average in their 20s, really, not even 30. And they were trying to advise me as to what I could do, you know, and it was just like a big disconnect for me. And so that's how I got into being someone who cares about the age 50 and up generation. Um, and, and so I was happy to find you and find your uh, services at Wildflower Medical Consultants. Um, well, the, the other truth of the matter is, and that's, I guess, the elephant in the room, it's a retail establishment. They're there to make money. And while I have no proof that this is happening, I just suspect based on general information and knowledge that if there's a particular strain that's not moving, Someone's had a conversation and says, hey, this one's not moving. Let's promote this one today, whether it would benefit the patient or not. And um, to complicate the, the matter more, uh, those establishments that carry a medical use license and a recreational use license, the state has, in my opinion, hamstringed them to having to pay for two different licenses for maybe even the same product. And uh, hopefully during this uh, next legislative process that can be addressed, um, I do know uh, that the governor has appointed uh, a cannabis um, commission to take a look at all things cannabis in Nevada, uh, and hopefully they'll be able to work through some of those inconsistencies and give both the retail establishments a, a break and be able to provide uh, medical care for those medical patients because not every patient that's um, not every person that's using it medicinally is a cannabis a registered cannabis uh, patient right and in Nevada anyway if you have like I do a medical marijuana card you get a tax break you pay less tax when you buy cannabis products in the retail environment. Um, and I don't well, know if, if many people understand that. Well, in my opinion, there's multiple uh, benefits to having a card. So just in case you have um, a, uh, a medical need, and that tax break or 
the paying less tax is only one of the benefits. I see other benefits in terms of um, priority uh, uh, treatment. If you walk in, you're a medical patient, you kind of get moved over to a different line and uh, people are there to answer questions for you, maybe give you a little bit more attention. Uh, another benefit is you can actually possess more at one time. Um, with the recreational or adult use patients, they are only allowed to possess up to one ounce at a time, whereas in the medical realm, you can possess up to two and a half ounces. Um, a lot of times, the medical, medically focused dispensaries um, will carry different, often sometimes stronger, more concentrated products. Um, and you also have grow privileges. Uh, should you decide to want to grow your own cannabis uh, at home. And the, there are, of course, rules surrounding that uh, option, but that is a, an option. And finally, um, it's, it's an insurance card of sorts. Let's say you are still working. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know your audience is uh, a bit older, and um, many may be retired, but there are those that are still working in, in case anything were to happen, either on the job or in any case, you have something that says, I'm not using this for fun, for counterculture, for recreation. I am a patient. And so to me, one of the next big hurdles that the Canvas Commission has to look at is uh, what they consider to be intoxication. Because uh, there are DUI laws that are very antiquated in this state with regards to cannabis. So that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting that um, of all places in the world, Las Vegas, Nevada becomes a nexus for uh, cannabis, you know, the use of. And before all of the uh, closings of um, casino resorts, restaurants, bars, etc. in Las Vegas. There was a lot of talk about Las Vegas someday becoming the uh, so-called um, Amsterdam of North America. And, they, and the reference is to the Netherlands, where the city of Amsterdam has for hundreds of years, not just a short time, been a place where people can go and legally use cannabis, and they have uh, coffee shops and whatnot. So that was the talk that Las Vegas would become that, and I don't know at this point. But it certainly is true that the retail use or the retail availability of cannabis in Las Vegas is just so so clear, so available. And that's how I first was introduced. I couldn't believe there were like 30 or 40 places in the Las Vegas Valley where you could go in and legally buy cannabis. Just very much of a mind blower for me. Well, it's even uh, more daunting than that because when you walk in there, you literally are met with hundreds of options. And that's, again, where I hope to come in for those people who are considering using it medically, because I remember taking a friend in, and um, uh, this was a visiting friend who wanted to buy uh, recreationally. And I said, well, come on, we got uh, that here, so let's go take a look. And so I said, well, what, if, what, if we, what would you like to do? What would you want to buy? What, what are you looking for? He, his answer was, I just want regular weed. <laughs> I said, well, those, those days are gone. We're going to need some more information than that. We're going to want to know how you feel, how you want to feel, what effect you want to have. You want to clean the house or take a nap? And uh, with those things being said, the person was so confused. They just said, I just want regular. And uh, there are there is a brand. I won't even go into the name. I don't get paid for that. But um, there is a brand that does sell regular old-fashioned uh, kind of cannabis for, for that person who doesn't have a particular desire to feel or uh, feel a certain way. Yeah. Well, and I will. I don't know if I'll mention the name, but in, because we are in Las Vegas, we should expect a style, a Las Vegas style, if you will, 
And there is a place that opened not too long ago, a new dispensary, new to uh, compared to some of the older ones. And man, they have neon, they have things flying around the ceiling. <laughs> you know, and it's almost like oh, a, yeah. a Disneyland for adults kind of a thing. And I'm not sure that's bad. It just gives, I think, the wrong message. If you go into CVS or Walgreens, you don't. It doesn't feel like Disneyland. I don't think. Um, well, that place you're referring to is specifically for recreational use, and of course to attract the tourists. And to reiterate something you said earlier about the uh, Amsterdam of North America, um, from the standpoint of medical and legal cannabis use, um, Nevada actually set out to be the gold standard. While we sat back and watched what Colorado did right and didn't do right, we did the same with Washington and Oregon before our recreational program was opened so that we could um, become the gold standard for our regulations uh, around all things cannabis. And my understanding from the industry is that we still hold that that esteemed position. And again, the governor's appointing of the Cannabis Commission uh, and Cannabis Commission and the currently functioning Cannabis Compliance Board um, is, is try, you know, attempting to, to do just that. And in fact, they appointed, I think, five member boards, and none of them are in the cannabis industry so as to prevent any, any industry bias. Yeah. Well, and I would say I'm not in the medical field. I would say I um, actually I have experience in government relations in the sense of a, a, a for-profit company dealing with uh, elected officials. So I have some a lot of experience with that. But I also was impressed with the state of Nevada for what they did in terms of regulation. The labeling of the cannabis products is remarkably clear. I mean, the words are not. You know, some of the words, the names of the things are more confusing to average people than, say, vitamin C or, you know, simple things like that. But I do believe Nevada is ahead of a lot of states as far as the clarity and the transparency in regulating cannabis. Yeah. Well, um, I have another example of, in my opinion, how probably not to do it. And I'm from Chicago originally, and Illinois went from zero to 100. They, 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 I don't think that they did their due diligence because uh, I have family there that need it and don't have a clue as to what to do. And trying to counsel them from far away is, is difficult. And so every state is different. So keep that in mind, uh, listeners, as you um, travel, for instance. Um, and uh, kind of if you are a medical patient or using it medically, kind of get to know uh, the laws in the state where you're going if you need to obtain your medicine. Well, and one thing I wanted to ask you about is um, because we are here in Las Vegas, it is very easy for anyone who lives here or who visits here to go in to a retail setting uh, and then now in this day and age with the uh, contagious virus, people don't want to do that. So I wanted to ask you about online or mail order um, purchasing of cannabis. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's an incredible option. And, um, you know, when we first had the shutdown, there was debate, the debate about whether or not the cannabis dispensaries were uh, essential. And they quickly learned that they were because so many people use it uh, medically and or for uh, uh, recreational use. Um, maybe they don't know that they are using it just to keep themselves from freaking out with everything that's going on in the world. Um, but, yeah, delivery service um, is especially good for people who should not be out and about. Uh, in in this time, and uh, unfortunately, it can get quite expensive. They have sometimes high minimum purchase amounts, 
um, before they'll deliver, but at least it's available. I recently learned that they have approved or are going to approve the ability for people to now drive through a certain establishment. So we'll see how that works. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how many places are equipped to allow that, but um, I know that the one place that had the drive-through, which was New Wu, uh, uh, one of the uh, Native uh, American establishments, um, they were very busy during the beginning of the lockdown. Yeah. So obviously there was there was the need for that. Well, and that's uh, you mentioned it's uh, within the Las Vegas Valley here. New Wu, but they are an indigenous, it's a, a tribe, and I forget, right. forget the name right now, but they were the first to do um, where you could go into a physical place in the Las oh, Vegas right. and, and consume in public in a Las Vegas area building, and that yeah. do, doesn't happen anywhere else. And then the coronavirus hit, so uh, who knows how this will shake down. Um, abide by the same state laws because by them being um, tribal, they have, uh, they are under a different jurisdiction legally. So what you're referring to is what they were calling social use lounges, and uh, that was a very hotly debated topic the last uh, uh, legislative session, excuse me, and then um, it, it is still unresolved, if I'm not mistaken, on the how to best implement social use lounges. And then, of course, COVID hit, so everything changed. Yeah, it's kind of a mess right now. Um, the one thing I did find in you know personal experience, and so I will mention, there are a couple of uh, dispensaries in Las Vegas that will allow you to use a debit card, and they will take your debit card as payment, and they will deliver to your residence. So you do not have to go out, no face-to-face -face contact, and you don't have to have cash. It has been a strictly cash-only business for the longest time here, and so I'm happy to see that they are moving in the direction of allowing, um, you know, plastic... Well. Well, that, that's still pretty complicated, but they did um, last year pass this, I believe, and that uh, is what has allowed, that's partially what has allowed some of the restrictions to be lifted by it being uh, uh, federally illegal. A lot of the banks weren't willing to touch it, and I believe those that did probably had offshore bank accounts. Um, however, I'm not... 100% about that, but um, with the passage of the Safe Banking Act uh, from the federal level, that has loosened up some of the restrictions. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, think about it, how dangerous that is or was uh, for people to be carrying loads of cash in bags somewhere. Oh, I know. You know, it was like know. foolish, very foolish, very risky. And <laughs> well, it was some of the places, right, some places did get... Um, you know, there were uh, attempts on uh, trying to get a hold of that money, but I, I don't know that anybody was ever successful. They have tons of measures that they have to go through to keep uh, good records and people safe and uh, money protected. Well, and that's, that's another thing about Nevada. The, uh, it is, the security is tremendously strong, and I feel confident as a customer going into these dispensaries because they're clean, they're well lighted. Um, you know, the one thing I found, people have asked me, what is it like to go into a dispensary? And the, and the attitudes prevail from the 1970s where you would buy from some shady character in a dark alley. And people today think that still exists. Well, it does in other states, I guess, but not in Nevada. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, no. I think um, uh, I, I've been in other states. Um, and, you know, not that many, but, it, like, for instance, Colorado did a kind of a co-op approach. They, uh, again, were the first. So their approach is a little bit different, more, you know, whatever you can grow, we'll sell it here. Um, whereas Nevada um, strictly has licensed cultivators that are highly regulated and taxed. And um, it is a true retail establishment most 
all very, very professional, very, very safe, and usually quite the pleasant experience for the buyer. I think first-time purchasers are, are often surprised, and they have recorded it as a pleasant, reported it as a uh, pleasant experience. Yeah. So. Well, the one thing yeah, that and, I... And, I think of it, I tell people it's like going into an Apple store, you know, a lot of... Uh, yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. It's a very good, good, good reference to it. Um, you know, I want to bring up something else that um, uh, we haven't discussed, and that is I learned that a, a couple of things, a lot of people didn't want to be on the registry um, as a patient for worry that they would be on a list of some sort, uh, or that... Um, maybe when they're driving, the police can see that they're a patient. Or worse, you can't have a CCW and a medical marijuana card at the same time. So these, um, I, I think, and if I can criticize some of the laws, I think that those things prevented the patient, popul the patient uh, group to grow. Um, thereby making the dispensaries feel like it was un, uh, not worth it for them to carry um, medical products. Um, I'm hoping that the state improves its uh, marketing about those things. I'm very much hoping that they remove the CCW restriction because why would you have recreational where you can walk in and just buy it and the persons who need it for medical use? may not uh, be able to use it because they want to keep their license to conceal and carry a weapon. Um, those things are in direct contradiction. Yeah. And the good news is they've taken it out of the DMV realm and back into the health and human services realm. So your card is not going to longer look like your driver's license. Um, and I think that people should know that the registry is really very safe and locked down and um, only accessible by very, very few people. Yeah. Probably less than five people in the whole state. Well, and there's a lot of paranoia generally. I mean, it's not everyone has paranoia, but the, the paranoia that exists is pretty widespread among certain groups of people. And that's a sad thing, but, you know, we can't change everything. Um, you mentioned the the weapon, the CCW. In California, the city of Needles, which is right on the uh, state line with uh, Arizona, um, they wanted to change the state law for for just the city of Needles, California, so that there wouldn't be the conflict between those who are legally licensed to carry weapons and those who are legally licensed to purchase cannabis. So that Needles, California, would become a place where you could go and have the best of both, if you will. Isn't that, that seems kind of strange to me, but who, who, who am I, you know? <laughs> I don't know much about that, but I, I remember hearing a little bit. Yeah. Well, one thing before we go, before I let you go, can you give us how do people reach out to Wildflower Medical Consultants to see if, if you guys can help them? How do they reach you? Um, Wildflower Medical Consultants can, you know, you can go to the website. Uh, it's actually wildflowermedical.com, or you can call if anyone wants to schedule an appointment, um, and that number is 702-773-1144, 702-773-1144. Feel free to leave a message. It's, uh, we are not very, um, we are working remotely during this uh, period, so we are not in the office. And uh, it's actually worked well because I want to mention my associates that make up the, the business. Um, you, you obviously know me. The way the, way the program works is people meet uh, with me first, and we go through your entire medical uh, condition, your current concerns, your history, surgical history, medicine, everything that uh, uh, we can learn about your, your medical background, and then I forward the information to my cannabis analyst, who then 
with her vast knowledge of terpenes and the plant itself, makes a recommendation based on how much uh, CBD you might need versus THC in the in the product that you purchase, and especially your terpene profile, they call it. And we didn't talk a lot about the medical part of the plant, so I might be speaking a foreign language to your listeners, but um, there's a very particular chemical components of the plant that help or can help in certain medical conditions. So um, uh, she would give a, a, her recommendation based on the information that I obtained from the medical standpoint. And then the final portion, the one that I believe brings it all together, which is probably the most valuable money you spend, and that is spending an hour with our, we call her our healing mentor. Um, my cannabis, sorry, my cannabis analyst name is uh, Ms. Ayako Monsell, and my, can, my healing mentor is Ms., Mrs. Christina Thomas, and she herself is a patient who's got multiple chronic illnesses, who has learned how to take care of herself with cannabis, and um, by doing so has become um, uh, uh, the best advocate of all because she has information to share with you regarding your wellness in general. And putting all that together is, is kind of everything. In other words, your diet, your exercise, your uh, ability to uh, calm uh, yourself with meditation, essential oils, herbal medicine, all of those things that kind of bring it all together. Because again, we've learned that the majority of the patients are looking for something more natural. And so uh, to experience her, I think is the um, culmination of the entire program. Well, and I would, I would say a big yes, a big amen uh, to both, because I have dealt with both you, Dr. Jones, and also uh, Christina Thomas, and uh, I'm not doing this as a journalistic exercise to inform people. I want to share what I think was a very, very positive consumer experience for me, and that's why I invited you to come on here today to talk um, to our listeners. I, well, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. We're very proud of the uh, services that we provide. And, um, you know, <clears throat> the only unfortunate part is um, that we, we just need to get the word out to more, and I appreciate the opportunity to do that here because we feel almost like we're doing, I don't want to sound too sappy, but it feels like we're doing God's work here when we can help you uh, kind of bring it all together. And I want to emphasize that's the, the goal, to, do, to, to provide a holistic program, not just give you a medical card and then send you on your way. All right. Well, again, I thank you, Dr. Carmen Jones, Las Vegas, Nevada, for talking to us today. And I urge our listeners to reach out wildflowermedical.com and learn more about what can really benefit you as a person to help your health concerns. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Woody Goulart. This is Dr. Woody Cannabis Coaching Podcast. Find out more about this topic at drwoodycannabiscoaching.com.